1: you, you can be so responsible, so conscientious. Because remember, an overextension of a strength becomes a weakness. So you can become so caring and so much driven to take care of these people that you forget that those sheep belong to the Lord. You begin to control them because you now sense them as your sheep. You, you and me, we who are in ministry trying to change lives and help them come to a greater relationship with the Lord, we need to realize they still are the sheep of His pasture, not our pasture. The Lord says, he is the chief great and good shepherd and he lives in me, the hope of glory. And so now I'm going to rely upon him to shepherd his own sheep. So I'm nothing more than maybe his mouthpiece. I might be his earthly arms. I might be his ear to listen to them when they're pouring out their hurts and habits and hang-ups. hangups. I'm, I'm, I'm for them, but I don't own those sheep. And so that is not a rebuke as much as it's to be an encouragement to you. Do you know why? Because when the sheep you're trying to work with really do do stupid stuff, when they do stupid stuff, just give them to the Lord. They belong to Him anyway, right? You pray for them. You let the Lord take care of them. You be patient with them. And that'll help you to know that you don't own the ministry He does. You're just His servant. And you might just, with a little twinkle of your eye and a little smile on your face and a heart of humility... Just say, thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to even be a small part of this, that you'd use someone such as me, giving back to the Lord. So do you want to make a a difference in a person's life? Let me go through one, two, three. Number one, make loving Christ your first priority. You can't love them until you love Christ first. In fact, I call it the great confession, the great commandments, and the great commission. The great confession is when the Lord said to Jesus, when Jesus said to Peter, said, who do you say that I am? Peter shot out first, he said, you are the Christ, the living son of God. That's your confession. You've got to have that first before you can do number two, which would be the great commandment. Commandment number one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. You cannot genuinely love him in a way that God would accept until you confess him as Jesus, as the Savior, as the one who died and rose again, and then clearly then surrender to him afterwards as the Lord of your life, that he is the Lord. You recognize that he is Lord, he died, he rose again. He has all that packaged together. You're trusting in Him. Now that you do, you can authentically love Him with that new heart. But if you really love Him, the second part of that commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you really love them, then the Great Commission kicks in when it says, Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So to do that with them, you want to help them have the great confession. You want to teach them to have the great commandment of loving the Lord. You want them to love their neighbor. You want them to do what you're doing to them, which is to make a disciple out of them. Help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that all starts with you first loving Christ with all of your heart. Do you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind? Number two. Take to heart Christ's forgiveness for your greatest sins. Take to heart Christ's forgiveness for your greatest sins. Now, I'm not here to divide up what's the worst sin, what's all of this. I think the first sin is the sin of unbelief. But let's go back to this. I'm going to put greatest in quotes. I'm going to talk about, for some of you, you have the idea that Jesus is a good Savior. He can save you from this stuff. This is a great, wonderful Savior. He can forgive me of this stuff. But I would not be a bit surprised if there's not some of you in this room right now listening. And you're thinking, you do not know the depravity of my life before I came to Christ. I know intellectually, maybe even theologically, that on the cross, he could forgive me of all sin. The sacrifice was once for all, done and over with. No sin was too big. I get all of that then, but right now, I keep bringing up the guilt from that past thing that I've ever done wrong. And my point simply here is you have to take to heart when Jesus forgives you, he forgets that. And if you keep pulling that back up again, Satan is going to continue using that to make you feel like you can never influence someone else. Because you got this in your life. In fact, what you might want to do is look at that sin that's in your life, and you probably have the consequences as a result of it. Look at them now as scars. And don't look at those as scars as something for you to get down with. Use those as scars as to remind yourself of the horrificness of sin only to launch you into a joy of surrender to Him. So, take to heart, Christ has forgiven you of all sin. You are still usable for Him once that sin is forgiven and forsaken. The third is believe Jesus wants, can, and will use you to make a great difference in other people's lives. And He really can. He can make a great difference in someone else's life. I want to tell you about one lady. She's in her 90s. She comes here early in the morning. She does something for all of us. She doesn't teach anything. She doesn't sit with any crying baby in any nursery that I know of. But you know what she does? She makes a difference. She comes here, slow motion because she's old. But like a a locomotive, it can be slow but it's powerful. And she goes to that closet over there, and she opens up that door, and she digs around to find some little bucket with a handle on it and some little broom that she can manage. And then she sweeps up this snowstorm of leaves here every single Sunday morning. Now, I know there may be others that step in once in a while, and some of you, when you see her, you grab that out of her hand, and she reluctantly gives it to you because that's her little ministry. I want that lady to know that she is making a difference. By her doing that, it's relieved others, hopefully, to be able to do something that she can't do. And so you're doing that, what she can't do, because she's doing something so that you can do what you can do. And that's telling you that everybody can make a difference. Let me end with number four, and that is simply follow me, follow the Lord. We've spoken a lot about that, so it won't take long to cover this point. Verse 18 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, Simon, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, basically dress yourself and go wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands like this, and someone will gird you, will dress you, and put you in a position that you can't control, and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, we evidently know through this context that he's talking about Peter, when you were young, you could do anything that you want. But when you get older, there's one thing that you wish you wouldn't have to do, but you're going to do. And that is, you're going to die a crucifixion death. Now, when you go back to church history, that is exactly what happened, except with one little caveat. While Jesus died this way, it is said that Peter said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And he requested that he would be crucified upside down. You talk about surrender, and then go one more step. I really love you, Lord. I'm not even worthy to die the way you did. I'm going to take it even a step further. Let's go back to the passage. Verse 19 says, Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death uh, Simon would glorify God. And by the way, when you die, and you die living for the Lord, it doesn't mean you have to be screaming John 3.16 when you're dying. But it does mean that you died in the faith, and you died living your life in the calling to which God has called you with purity and holiness. Your death will glorify God. And you wanted to. And let me say this because we have some older people in here. Don't serve the Lord so long and then at the very end give it all up. And then just, you know, not want to die or not want to do something for the Lord and start just dragging Christ down. I, I hope that you would, older folks here, you would realize that you have a lot of younger folks And we don't know what it's like to walk that path of illness, suffering, affliction. We certainly don't know what it's like to hear that death sentence, you've got cancer or whatever. We do not know what it's going to be like when there's no more pain relief, there's no more uh, relief from whatever, we're not going to get well. When we know that we're in hospice now, which is God's waiting room for the final act of death, you are walking that path ahead of us. And we need to see that the very God that we, while we're helping now, are serving, can take care of us at the end of life. You are our model. And that's why there's glorifying of God, even in death. And in this case, it was crucifixion. Maybe some of us will die a martyr's death. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, it's so weird. Some commentators say, well, that means that he was telling Peter, get up now. I want you to follow me. I'm going to the next place. I don't believe he's talking about it physically. I don't believe it because in the next verse, it says they were following him. Okay, so that was already going on. So I think he's saying here, evidently, that I want you to follow me with your heart with your mind, with your strength, with your life, with your convictions, with everything about you. I want you to follow me. And that's where we started at the beginning of the sermon. It's grace alone for salvation. It's grace alone for service. And we follow him alone throughout our life. Verse 20. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, which would be John again, the one who also leaned back on Jesus' bosom. That's why we know it's John at the supper. Lord, And also asked, Lord, who's going to betray you? And we knew that was Judas, and John said that. And then it says this, So Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus had those famous words. If I wanted to remain here on this earth until I come back again, what is that to you? And he says, you follow me. Now look up here for a moment. There's two ways that you might accept this as an interpretation. One of it could be, Where John now hears all this stuff. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. Feed, 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 feed. And now he hears how he's going to die. And behind him now, following also, is John. And he says, what about this man? One answer could be, all of a sudden, John is, I mean, Peter is so much in love with the Lord that he looks at John and he says, what about this? I'm going to die this way, but what about this guy? If I'm going to feed people, maybe I need to feed, how can I help him go through whatever he's going to go through at the end of his life? What, what's going to happen to him? What? What can we do? That's one answer. There are a couple commentators that think that's the answer. The other just could be eyes off the Lord and just say, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Why do I have to go through this? What about this guy? I, I think it really doesn't matter because Jesus says, Right now, I want you to get the bigger picture. I appreciate what you you love Peter, John. You're worried about how he's going to die. Maybe that's an answer. Or the other one is, Why is this guy? Why is this? The real answer is simply this. Jesus looks at him and says, Right now, it doesn't matter what's happening. I want to make sure that whatever you do, whether you're caring for the suffering or whether you're out there, got your eyes on what about them and why do I have to go through all of this? He looks and he says, You, and that's the emphasis here. Before it was, follow me. Here it says, You, 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 follow me. That's why I put down here that what happens with failures here, how followers turn into failures. is when you ask the question, why me? Because the next step is usually, why me? And then it's poor me. And then it's pity me when it's all about you. Why do I have to go through all of this stuff? Why me? Why not him? Why do I have to go through all of this? I've seen more people drop out of ministry, leave ministries, leave relationships because they have that poor me, pity me, woe is me, pity party going on because it's all about them worrying about themselves the second one is when we have the question what about him and Jesus says please keep your eyes on me my wife has a favorite phrase that she helps the women in the church work with she does this more one on one but her phrase is when the women are starting to get down and, and not that men can't so don't, don't read that into that but she deals with women when they have that feeling why is it this she says remember two things two truths I may have this etched on her plaque tombstone when she dies who are you looking at? And then remember who you're really doing this for. Did you catch that? Who are you looking at? And remember who you're really doing this for. When we start looking at other things or trying to do both, just like Peter, we're going to start drowning. We're going to deny him at the cross. We're going to look at other people. Got to look at the Lord. Uh, raise your hand. How many of you text and drive at the same time? No, I was just trying to catch you off guard (laughs) there. Why don't they let us text and drive at the same time? Because it causes accidents. Well, as horrible as that is, and I never want to minimize that because there's, there's too much horror stories and testimonies from that, what Jesus is saying here is quit texting while you're trying to live your Christian life, in this case. He says, I want you to keep your eyes fully on me. Remember, you're doing it for me. If you want to be repurposed, Remember who you're doing it for. Keep your eyes on him. Well, the postscript is so special here. I'll end with this. There's not a lot to commentate. Verse 23 is just to kind of let John's kind of kicking this in here and saying, the Lord did all of this so that people would know that I'm going to die too, basically. Verse 24. This is the disciple, meaning John, who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So he's basically saying, I am telling you the truth. You know it. You guys were here. The next generation will know it too. Divine inspired. Verse 25 is a very special verse. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. Well, obviously, he lived 33 years. Three three years of that was doing ministry. Which, if they, the things that Jesus did, were written in detail. That's the key word. In detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, there's two things I grab out of that. There's probably a lot, but just off the, for today. The first is this. The books couldn't contain all that Jesus did. Maybe it's because Jesus, he was a busy guy. He was purpose driven, if I could steal that term. He he knew why he was here. He knew what he needed to do. He knew when he had to leave. He knew what he had to get done before he left. And he could say in the cross, I've finished the Father's work that he called me to do. He did everything. He was a worker. He knew what was happening. And so my takeaway from this is all right, he did so much they couldn't write it all down. I'm not Jesus. I get that. But I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing with the end goal of glorifying the Lord in mind. I do not want to be a lazy Christian. I don't want to merely be a let go, let God. Now, I got that. I don't want to do it in the flesh. I don't want to do it according to my own strength. I get get all that. You get all that. You know all that. I know it. But sometimes what happens is we then let it all go to God and we blame it all on Him. You know, okay, Lord, if you want this, you do this. You take care of this. You do this. And we sit around and we expect God to almost do it all. When he says, I'll do the Christian life, it'll be through you, but I'm going to use your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your knees, your feet, your life, your gifting, everything I've given and the way I've shaped you and made you, you are it. Now you're going to let me do it through you, but you've got to yield to me. There is a choice, and when I want to do it and I energize you, that means that sometimes you're not going to go do this. You're not going to go do that. You're not going to join this. You're not going to be a part of this. You're going to be a part of this. You're going to start that. You're going to be involved here. And it's going to take putting your head on the pillow at night, so tired, because you labored for the Lord. And so that's the doing part. He said, whatever he did, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what he wanted me to do. I want to sit at the beach when he wants me to contemplate, but I also want to be in the midst of the crowds when he wants me to teach and feed and all that. The next takeaway I got from this is that there was so much that Jesus did and probably said too, of course, that could not contain all the books, which means it's okay whatever god wanted me to know is already in here it's not like i wish i had something else because something else might be out there here's what you can take to the bank whatever he did and said that's not found in the holy writ here will not contradict what is in the holy writ did you hear that so even what he did and said that's not in the bible that says there was so much there we couldn't record it all blah 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 it doesn't mean that that's going to contradict what's here what's here is here secondly Don't sit there and want to get all that other writing out there because there's so much right here. We probably in a lifetime couldn't do it all, amen? So let's do what we know to do right here for His glory, what He's given to us in here. It's all right here for you and me. So, bottom line is, number one, what you need to do to go to heaven. Everything is right in this book. Jesus says, this was written that you might have life. And you have life by believing in Jesus Christ. He said, on the resurrection and the life, even though you die, you will live. Do you believe this? By believing in Him. The second, he said, was, follow me, and I'll repurpose your life. And now, for the rest of the afternoon, we're going to show you what happened in Peter's life when he fully surrendered to the Lord, how repurposed that life was. He did it with Peter. Part of that is an example, as our model, that he wants to do it for you and me. Let's partner with God, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. What a great way to conclude this wonderful gospel of John as John was an eyewitness of all these truths and that he would give us all these little details as a disciple who leaned on Jesus' bosom, who loved Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then out of all of that stuff that was out there, the Spirit of God just prompted him in what to write for us and it's all right there. If this doesn't give you a a passion to go back over the Gospel of John. I don't know what will. Go back over Read it again. It's only 21 chapters. If you read just three chapters a day, you'd have the whole book read by next week when I go over the entire book in one Sunday. And when it you're going to see that Jesus is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. And then he came here to give you life, eternal life. And then upon that, he wants to give to you abundant life when you surrender to him and you allow him to live out that abundant life through you. And when he does, it doesn't mean you'll merely sit around. That'll be a part of it because you've got to go upward. You've got to love him first. But then you've got to love your neighbors. And if you really love your neighbors, you're going to give yourself in sacrifice and service to him for them, but to him, the Lord, but for them, so they could know the Lord. Maybe there's someone here today that's ready to place your faith in Christ that you believe that Jesus is God. But you've been dallying around in the thoughts that maybe good works will get you to heaven or faith in Christ and good works will get you to heaven. When Jesus says, no, you come as you are, as a broken, lost sinner, and you come to me, and I'm saying, if you come to me, you who are thirsty, and you drink of me, in other words, you believe in me and me alone, he says you will never thirst again you will know you have eternal life it will never be taken away when you sin afterwards he says I'll discipline you but you'll never lose that salvation because Jesus says you are kept by the power of God and as John wrote in his gospel Jesus says you will never perish you are the sheep of his pasture but you need to do the believing right now so would you simply say this, Lord, I know I've done many things wrong. I know that if I died today, I'd be separated from you for all eternity. And Lord, I know you love me. You did all of this. You lived this life. You taught all this stuff. You went to the cross so I could have the forgiveness of sin. You did the work and you just looked at me with the kindest of eyes and you said, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. And so Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe in you today, in you alone. And Jesus says that you have right now, not when you die, right now, eternal life. So when you die, you already got it because you got it the day you believe, the moment you believe. So is there anyone in here today that's maybe telling the Lord, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. I know it's not by my works. I know it's by faith and my little bit of faith, I'm placing it in you. And now I know I'm heaven bound. Would you like for me to pray for you? And when you do, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. That way I'll know I can pray for you. But raising your hand, walking an aisle, filling out a card, me praying for you won't get you into heaven. Those are all earthly acts that Jesus says it's an inward thing. See, Christianity is an inside job. Later on, it can become an outside job. But right now, to get to be a Christian, it's an inside job. If you're trusting Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you, because today is the day you're trusting him, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone in here today that's doing that? Anyone at all? All right, Christians, let me speak to you for just a moment. Is your life in need of repurposing? Is it uh, maybe where you know we should be involved in some measure in evangelism, but you have not been as faithful at that as you should be. You have kind of gone back into the things that are good, but you've missed the command to make disciples. That is great. And you need special prayer. Could that be you? Are there some of you that um, you've got so busy for the Lord, you have not sat around and built a relationship with him by just getting to know him more? Jesus said, come and eat. He didn't say, okay, guys, now go out there and find lost people right away. Now, they knew they should be doing it. That was what they were told to do. But at that moment, he said, come on. Come, come to me. A few more things I need to teach you. So there are times in your life you've got to center down on God as the Quakers would say. Center down on him. Center down on Jesus. Do you need to do that? Are there some of you that you know that you've been given some things and you need to teach, you need to feed based on your love for the Lord? I'm grateful for all of you that do it outside of our fellowship, but please know that there are needs here there are groups of people that need facilitators that will help feed and teach. I like to call it model and mentor. There's places right here in our own faith family for you to do that. And we've had the people here to do it. Now who wants to step up and say, I, I, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And if you do, you've got to follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. You feed his sheep. You fellowship with him and you fish for men because jesus said follow me and i will make you fishers of men is there anyone that would like to have prayer because today you're sensing the spirit of god is somehow speaking to you maybe not through a direct application that i've given maybe so maybe there was a a phrase or a word from the word of god that the spirit just kind of took deep within your spirit And your mind and your heart is now being more aligned to Scripture and to the Lord. And you know that today was the day for a a new repurposing in your life. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're going to do in our life. We thank you that you will live out this life through us as we yield to you. Help us, Father, now to become fully devoted followers of you. Help us to truly follow you. For thy glory, we pray. Amen.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.